forever. Dog! Hi, Anna. Hi, Andrew. And hey, everybody else. And welcome to our podcast. Scary Scary Stories Stories to to Tell tell on the the Pod. pod. It's a podcast about scary stories, urban legends, spooky things your older cousin told you when you were six that you vaguely remember, um, (laughs) things the girl from summer camp told you that are probably lies about like a dream that someone had that proved that ghosts are real. Like that's our podcast. Uh, and what a thrill it is to be able to be giving it to you today on a Wednesday. That is a line from a porn. <laughs> <laughs> and what a thrill it is. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, oh God, I was trying to think of a Downton Abbey pun for porn. I was going to say Downton Crabby, but that would be a not fun porn. <laughs> I wonder <laughs> if that would be someone's excitement. Yeah, Downward Dog Abbey. No, um, that's a yoga pose. Downtown uh, Gobbly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should also wh- say we're primarily a, a comedy podcast that's also about scary stories. So if you're looking for a serious deep dive into, you know, people using divining rods and ghost boxes, this ain't it. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Mankey is more than happy to help you out. Head on over to Lore. Um, we're here to make you laugh about stuff that's scary. Yes, and today is a Wednesday. It is a Wednesday, and that means it's an urban legisode. And it's your damn turn. It's my damn turn. And I'm excited about this one because Ooh. I had a little bit of extra time this week, and I went full. Uh, my favorite murder, I like wrote it down. I'm also, I realize as I'm saying this, I'm setting myself up for disaster because the expectation is so high now. Um, no, I'm excited. I love, I mean, who can't relate to having extra time? <laughs> I know. I know. What's funny is like I either have like three hours where I'm like, I have extra time. And then as soon as that three hours is up, I get an email from like someone being like, this thing that you said you'd send to me is late. And I'm like, duh. Oh, um, yeah. I relate yeah. to that. Nightmare. Um, but I decided that for I think my next few urban legisodes, I'm going to do kind of a sub genre. Uh, within Urban Legends, um, which is I'm Ooh. going to take an icon of horror Whore. and <laughs> icon, icon of, of horror. horror, an icon <laughs> of horror, and and um, go into its origins and Ooh. also some urban legends surrounding that icon. Uh, and what I decided to start with today, Anna, is the icon of living skeletons. Oh. <gasps> Good. Uh, skellies. It's, we love a skeleton. And it made me think of um, the bad uh, creepypastas that you uh, did a couple episodes ago. <laughs> oh, <laughs> what was that? Oops, it's a skeleton? A skeleton Ooh. popped out. A skeleton, and then popped, a skeleton popped out. And yeah. so I kind of use that as an inspiration <laughs> because th- that would be very scary. Yeah. Um, maybe the the tension building up to that is not what we'd prefer. But I wanted to get to the bottom of, first of all, like, where did this living skeleton trope come from? Uh, and I found some stuff. So I'm drawing from our favorite book, Wikipedia. Uh, yes. And I also pull from a new documentary series on Shudder, which is like a horror movie app. 
um, which they're offering a free week. We're not we're not getting Ooh. sponsored by them or anything. But if you're looking for a excuse to watch a bunch of scary movies for free for a while, get your free week, baby. And then if you like it, stay uh, stay on. Um, but there's this new series they have called Cursed Films. Ooh. And every episode is about like a movie curse, like a set that was cursed or a production that was cursed, which <gasps> I think is interesting. Oh, I love that. That's similar to our um, Three Men and a Baby. Correct. Ghost. And then I will I will tap into that. The thing we discussed in that episode, I will talk about in this episode. So uh, the origins of skeletons as undead creatures are hard to trace exactly. Uh, Some theorize it began with depictions of the vision of the dry bones from the book of Ezekiel in the Bible. Are you familiar with the book of Ezekiel? I did not know so much about it. I'm not. What are the dry bones? Well, so Ezekiel sounds like every recipe that my friends are making right now. (laughs) It's a dry recipe from the book of Ezekiel. Do you know it? He's he's actually like friends with Alison Roman in real life. So like they have a lot of the same like theory about like you should learn how to cook with a recipe. All you need is tomato paste, some button mushrooms, and a bunch of bones. Yeah, like any kind of bones, like <laughs> heathen bones, like Samaritan bones, any kind so, of bones. I, so the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is a prophet in the Bible, um, and it's all these like visions that Ezekiel had. And one of them is this very surreal vision in which he's standing in a field or a valley, and there are hundreds upon thousands of human bones scattered all around. Sick. And then God appears, and he animates the bones. Uh. The bones all collect into, like, living skeletons. And God is like, hey, these are the Israelite (laughs) exiles. Hey. It's like after after appearing, (laughs) animating all the skeletons, and then (laughs) hey. (laughs) I wish there was a way to capture that tone of God speaking on a t-shirt. But yeah, God God called with the tone of a friend who's asking you a favor, Um, Uh and he's like, "These are all the uh, exiles of uh, Israel. Like they died on the way there." Uh, if you can lead them back to the promised land, they'll become human again. And so this is this vision he had. Um, I'm sure there is a better uh, description of that somewhere else. But hey, that's great. This is a horror comedy podcast. Horror um, comedy. Horror comedy. Comedy. Um, other, other people think that the biblical horseman of death, one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, uh, who's described as a rider in a shroud upon a pale horse – Yes, um, like in Game of Thrones. Exactly, exactly. Contributes very significantly to our not only like living skeletons, but also the Grim Reaper. Um, yeah. He's not described as having a scythe, but that comes later. I also miss that the Grim Reaper, I feel like the Grim Reaper should have a horse. And I think it sucks that he has to go on foot. I know. And like, what does the horse think? Like, The horse what, is for, just there. Yeah, I always thought about that with the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. Like, are they like... Are they just normal horses? Are they horse girls? <laughs> the four horse girls of the apocalypse. <laughs> Could someone just make that, please? 
it like shouldn't be anything longer than just us saying it just now. But, exactly. It, uh, it, it it should be that and then a flash of like a Branson Reese cartoon of yes, the four yes, horse girls they podcast. Yes, 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 yes. Um, okay. <laughs> so nearly across every culture, skeletons are almost unanimously the embodiment of death in art, in storytelling, and in folklore. But not all of those depictions are evil, uh, particularly those in Central and South America uh-huh. are often positive or or figures that uh, are helpful or that you pray to. Um, there are folk saints like Santa Muerte in Mexico, yeah. San La Muerte in Paraguay, San Pascualito in Guatemala, which I love. I guess that means saint of graveyards and cemeteries, which I just think is fun. Nice. Um, and then in the Brazilian religion Umbada, uh, there's Eshu and Omalu, who are what are known as Orisha, which are kind of like guiding spirits. They have godlike qualities, uh, but they used to be human, and they've been, um, you know, turned into these divine entities you can pray to. I believe uh, Eshu is the god of like crossroads and cemeteries and graveyards, oh. and Omalu is. Like uh, it represents like sickness and death. There was a lot of folk art tying Omolu to HIV in the 80s. Mm. Um, but while there's, you know, while Omolu is potentially a scary figure, also Omolu heals people who suffer from diseases. Um, yeah, they sound like they're sort of like angels where they're there to help humans. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that was actually, there's a lot of like angel of death stuff in, uh, or, or god of death stuff in Greek, uh, in Chinese and Japanese mythology. Yeah. We uh, just, we just, sorry, we just had that with Passover. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, but interestingly in those, uh, those angels are very often depicted, at least in art um, or iconography, not as skeletons, but as like beautiful and o- often very like young figures, um, cool. which is why I won't talk so much about them. Uh, yeah. In America, there's the folk monster Bloody Bones, Ooh. sometimes known as Rawhead Bloody Bones, which we've, we've actually talked about, uh, I think briefly in an early episode. Um, and sometimes Rawhead Bloody Bones is treated as one entity and sometimes Rawhead Bloody Bones is two different things. So there's like Rawhead and then Bloody Bones and they're like buddies, <laughs> <laughs> which I think is great. That's a lot. I know. And I like it. Me too. I think it's very clever. The origins of those, um, of that particular boogeyman, uh, is a funny mix of English, Cornish and African. Uh, and they kind of converged in the American Southeast um, they primarily appear in Southern folk stories. Bloody Bones, sometimes accompanied by a beast named Rawhead, is a dancing skeleton okay. who is sometimes headless um, and is known to live in ponds, under staircases, and even in locked rooms that parents tell you not to even look through the keyhole of. Yeah, helpful ghosts. Ghost, uh-huh. Ghosts used to control children. Yes, nursery bogies. Yes. Um, so some say in some legends, uh, bloody bones is made up of all of the bones of children that raw had ate, uh. which is really the economy of that folk story is, is really great. Um, but either way, bloody bones punishes, I love this gossips. <laughs> <laughs> Number one. Yep. Curious children oh and those God. who tell lies or use foul language. Um, and the punishment is, in some stories, bloody bloody bones eats your head. 
In some stories, Bloody Bone does a dance that makes your head disappear. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Listen, I've seen some dances on Instagram that have made my head disappear. Like, how is it they make it look like they're slow robots? (laughs) And then your head's gone. And then you're like, how do I eat pasta now? (laughs) That's why the Headless Horseman's so upset. He can't have carbs no more. (laughs) And speaking of Headless Horseman, sometimes... uh, uh, Bloody Bones takes the head of a kid or a gossip and then keeps the head until the flesh rots away from the head. And then that's when he needs a new head. Got I'm it. saying he, we don't know. We don't know the gender of Bloody Bones. That sounds like they- typical male behavior. <laughs> I know. I know. Leave like the kids any- alone. <laughs> Men who can dance really well usually use it for, for ill. <laughs> that's true. That's very true. I always say this about good whistlers and good male dancers. I can't trust it. Wow. Good whistlers or people who show off whistling. Yeah, that's not you know? okay. Uh, oh, this is – here's a little here's a little side creepy story. Um, Chris and I live on this – you know, in this courtyard that we share with our neighbors and there for a long time was a person who would whistle no. so loudly, beautifully, but so loudly and um, almost as though a robot had been designed to whistle classical music. Whoa. And for a while we thought, is this person real? Is this a recording that's being played? And then I went to go – I was like, where's this whistling coming from? I went for a casual walk to just sort of glance around. I was kind of living my best um, neighbor from Bewitched moment. Sure. And I peeked in where I'm sure the – in in the glass door where I'm sure the whistling is coming from. And there was nobody there. No furniture. Nothing, baby. No, Andrew, don't say that. Um, Andrew, that's such a good little, that's such a perfect example of what this podcast is about. Exactly. I mean, people are very quick to remind me that it almost definitely was a construction worker doing it um, as the place was being renovated. But let's let's stick with the whistling ghost. It was a ghost. It was a ghost. And then sort of another side note, why are skeletons, they are always dancing. That I could not get to the origin they of. They can't stop dancing. I have a, n- no earthly clue. There's um, the I, scary there symphony. Like, yeah, there's like the scare. There's like the Disney bone thing. There's dance macabre, which is um, a piece of music in which like the narrative of it is that death comes up and plays the fiddle and the dead rise. Oh. Um, I have a theory about this. Um, that comes from just anecdotal knowledge. Uh, it don't take this as like a true thing to put in your anthropology paper. I would guess that there's a lot tied to um, like Celtic or Irishness because the mm-hmm. skeletons are always dancing in like a jig and very often like Irishy looking jigs. And um, the Feast of Samhain, which is like a yeah. Celtic uh, feast where the realm of the living and the dead becomes blurry and the dead. That's coming up. Oh, it's, I thought it's Halloween. Oh, no, no, no. There's another one that comes up in like between April and May. <gasps> You're right. Yeah, it's like changing of the seasons. You're totally yeah, right. Yeah, I forget what it's called. And and there's also thoughts that the Grim Reaper being depicted with a scythe also kind of comes from Irish mythology that because it's tied to the harvest, death appearing to like reap what has grown and like mm. started over again. Um, yeah, that would be... My guess, even though Dance Macabre is famously uh, French. Um, yeah, I think Dance Macabre is Saint-Saëns. saint is that how it's pronounced? Saint-Saëns? 
S-A-E-N. Anyway. I should know how to say it because I did play a piece for NISMA, which is a <laughs> oh. a yearly um, children playing their instruments festival. I love that so but much. Saint Sans. Saint, Saint Sans. Saint Sans. <laughs> Comic Sans. Have you seen the video of the little kid who's just caught a fish and he has the thickest southern accent and he's explaining the parts oh, of the yeah. fish? Oh, it's good. His gills and um, his mud fly up and um, <laughs> and the dad keeps telling him like to put it back. Anyway, um, I want to transition now to uh, we've talked about before that Japan has the best folk monsters and urban legend figures, just like totally great creative batshit um, uh, ghosts and ghoulies. And this one, and I'm going to pronounce it as best I can. I even tried to find out online how to pronounce it, uh, but I'm sure in some way I would mess it up. Uh, but Gasha Dakuro, which mm-hmm. literally means starving skeleton, also known no. as Odokuro, literally meaning giant skeleton. And they right. are mythical creatures in Japanese mythology. The Gasha Dakuro are spirits that take the form of giant skeletons and are 15 times taller than an average person. Which I think is such a funny number because to me, it's like it started with 10 times and then for whatever reason, someone's like, that's not scary enough. But 20 times, we're getting into the abstract and no one will know. It's hard to picture. Right. But 15 times, we're like, got it. That's huge. Um, They're said to be created from the amassed bones of people who died of starvation or in battle without being buried. Hard. Yeah. Which this also might have something to do with where skeletons appear in folk art and wood cuttings in particular around medieval times. Um, often they increase in presence after wars and after plagues. And the theory behind that is you're just seeing more skeletons around because yeah. society was falling and no one could get to all the bodies to bury them. Yeah. Um, skeletons are literally obsessed with being buried. <laughs> I don't know why, but they're like, yeah. put me in under, put me under the ground. And we're obsessed with not being buried. You know, it's like, yeah, you always want what you can't have. That's true. Um, it also is interesting just cross-culturally uh, the anxiety about not being buried and not having a place where you are remembered. Um, when you become a skeleton, everyone looks the same. So you kind of lose your personhood and you're living oh. in this per- perpetual state of anonymity, which is very scary. Interesting. Yeah. Good essay, Andrew. This is a Thank good essay you. so far. Uh, so these yokai, which I believe yokai are types of ghosts or types of urban legend characters, usually phantoms or apparitions, that sort of thing. Haunts. Haunts, Exactly. Uh, so these yokai roam at night, usually midnight, grabbing lone travelers and biting off their heads Ugh. to drink Pe- their spraying blood. People want heads. Yeah, skeletons want a head. It's so weird to me that they don't that like in none of these are the skeletons stealing skin. Yeah, no, flesh. they want they want a head. They want a head. Do they They're- miss smooching? Maybe they miss smooching. Maybe it also just me. It might be they're so hungry and heads are so easily you just pop them in your mouth once once you once you pop the phone doesn't yeah, stop. That's true. We've explored this before. <laughs> once you pop, you can't stop. Once you pop, you can't stop. Uh, so, oh, there is a way to know of their approach, 
which this is way out of left field. Because how would you think you would hear a skeleton coming for you, Anna? Clickety-clack? Clickety-clack. Not so. The victim would hear a loud ringing in their ears. Funny, oh. right? Oh. Yeah, like, uh, I wonder why. Maybe ee, That's ee. much scarier than clickety-clack, clickety-clack. <laughs> Imagine a skeleton running towards you going, that's very scary. Uh, <laughs> the Gashodokuro are said to possess the powers of invisibility and indestructibility, though Shinto charms are said to ward them off. That's good. Love that. Good to know. In the entry for Gashodokuro in Mizuki's book, uh, I don't know what Mizuki's book is. I'm sorry. Uh, a related tale from the Nihon Ryoki. I'm butchering that heads up, is introduced. It tells of a man in Bingo province in the Hiroshima prefecture who is in a field at night and hearing an eerie voice moaning, my eye hurts. (laughs) (laughs) That's just someone with seasonal allergies. Wow. You're absolutely right. My eye hurts. Does anyone have eye drops? (laughs) No. Somebody Google pink eye. Uh, Can you get pink eye from dog poop? (laughs) Because I picked up my dog poop and I think might have maybe got some on my hand. (laughs) Once when I got pink eye as a kid and I came back to school after I'd healed, um, an older boy said, that means someone farted in your eye. Who farted in your eye? And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. You had four older brothers. It could yeah. have been anyone. I mean, it, three yeah, it, it could have. It truly could have been anybody. <laughs> Which one? It was a tr- It was a real usual suspects of uh, who farted in the old Andrew ride. <laughs> That's my so, favorite Agatha Christie. <laughs> who farted in the old Andrew eye, starring Vanessa Redgrave and a fart? W is for who farted. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm feeling. I'm feeling people unsubscribe at this very moment. Hey, stick around. Okay. Um, okay. So my eye hurts. Uh, this guy finds that there is a skeleton with a bamboo shoot growing from its eye socket. Oh. oh. He removes the bamboo shoot and offers the skeleton dried boiled rice, which I'm confused about. Dried yeah. boiled rice. Is that just rice? It's. I guess it's been boiled and is now dry. Okay. Okay. Upon which the skeleton tells him the story of its murder and its personal history and rewards him for his kindness, sometimes with money, sometimes with uh, good fortune on his farm, etc. So the bamboo shoot is growing out of the skeleton's eye. Yes. And the person takes it out of their eye and feeds it to them. Yep. And then the skeleton's like, here's the deal. I got murdered on your property a long time ago. Um, But now the fact that I'm telling you my identity and you know who I am and and I believe because he's buried in a marked grave, the the skeleton um, gives him good luck or good good money or whatever. Okay, okay, okay. But what's confusing is um, while this is listed as like a gashidakuro, it is a normal size skeleton in most of the stories. Okay. Uh, but who knows? Um, skeletons also appear in Grimm's fairy tales. There, uh, they have a fairy tale that is, that truly has the least catchy title of all time, which is the youth who went forth into the world to find out what fear was. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. That sounds like a later album of a band you really liked in high school. 
I know. And then yeah. they're like, we're, we're not called the band anymore. We're called this new name. <laughs> and this is the album that we have. So if you come to see us in concert, we're mostly going to do this new one. <laughs> it's a really wild story. Uh, actually, a friend and collaborator of mine, Andrew Butler, and I read it years and years ago and fell in love with it. And we wrote a musical based on it. Um, what? Yeah, Finn the Fearless is based oh. on that story. Oh, and my we God, it in, We said it in Florida. It's very fun. Someone oh, produce it. You guys are so good. <laughs> That's very kind. Uh, but yeah, so it appears in the Brothers Grimm. Um, there are plenty of folk stories in every country and every culture about skeletons. Uh, again, very often they're depicted as being dancing uh, creatures uh, who want to like dance you to death and then you have to outsmart oh. them. Um, and then they, they make a pretty significant appearance in modern ghost stories, uh, almost to the point of oversaturation, which is why I think now a lot of people are not so scared of them. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Uh, There's too many skeletons. Too many skeletons. I I mean, at any given time, there's one in you. So what what do you have to be afraid of? There is a comedian who has a joke, um, skeletons are the one monster you can't assure a small child aren't real because if you did you'd say yes they are real and there's one inside you right now (laughs) (laughs) so so after finding all this research i was then like i'm gonna look up some skeleton urban legends well gentle listeners a a startlingly small amount um which mostly it's because like the, the urban legends are just not so snazzy. It's a lot. There's a lot that's like um, uh, a skeleton found in the trunk of a tree, um, or uh-huh. or a skeleton who that's scary. A skele- a person who died on the battlefield, and then their skeleton is found in the coffin of their fiance who died from grief. There's a lot of those kind of during Civil War times, but I didn't want to. I don't want to delve in there. Um, but the most a uh, prevalent skeleton-related urban legend relates to something we briefly talked about during the Three Men and a Baby episode, the poltergeist curse. Ooh. So, in oh, case... Oh, yeah, this you one know. is so good. Ooh, are we really going to give it to him? We're going to give it to him. Oh, my God. We're going to fully give it to him. So, um, a lot of this information in the beginning came from online. There's, like, an exhaustively long Reddit uh, thread about all of the curse-related things of, of the Poltergeist movie. Um, but there is an episode of that new cursed film series on Shudder about Poltergeist. And I thought the angle of it was super interesting and also just, like, revealing about how we think of cursed anythings. Um, so I'm going to talk about it right now. Great. So Poltergeist is a um, like, iconic horror film made in 1982, directed by Toby Hooper with a lot of creative input by Steven Spielberg who wrote the screenplay and wrote the screen story. Um, and it has a lot of Spielbergian elements to it. Um, well, also there being a lot of Toby Hooper elements, Toby Hooper directed um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's kind of his ah, big, his big cool. thing. So uh, Poltergeist is about a suburban family, the Freelings, who are besieged by supernatural phenomena after they move into a new house that they discover was built on top of a graveyard. Um, it's great. It's like, I think it's my favorite scary movie. It's a perfect haunted house film. It's a really good sleepover film. It's a great sleepover film. Uh, it also famously was, um, 
rated R and then Huber and Spielberg fought back because there was like they were like nobody dies there's no uh there's no violence um yeah and so they've changed it to PG-13 which then resulted in pretty much every uh child from then on watching that movie because parents are like it's PG-13 only to be absolutely horrified by yeah. it yeah it's too scary yeah a man rips his whole damn face off in the mirror that's right. Oh, my God. If only for, like, the meat on the counter scene. Uh, which I didn't know uh, Spielberg wanted to cut because he thought it was too grisly. And um, Hooper, I guess, went behind his back and kept it in, which I thought was really cool. Jesus. Um, so there is this so-called poltergeist curse that supposedly plagued the trilogy's production. There are three poltergeist films. Poltergeist, Poltergeist 2, The Other Side, and Poltergeist 3. Um and a lot of the meat and potatoes behind this curse comes from the fact that a, a pretty startling amount of actors involved in the movie died in really horrible ways. Um, shortly after production wrapped in Poltergeist, Dominique Dunn, who plays the older Freeling daughter, uh, was murdered by her boyfriend, which yeah. is really hard. Um and then in Poltergeist 2, Julian Beck, who plays the, like, horrific boogeyman in it, who haunts my dreams to this day. The, um, the very, very, very thin man. Yes, the one who's like, you're all gonna die! Yeah, he wears the hat and he appears in their window. Yes, so scary. Uh, he he died of a long-standing illness, as did Will Sampson, who plays the it's kind of a hard tropey thing, but like he plays um like an indigenous mystic who helps the Freeling family get rid of the ghosts. Uh, it's great to help. It's hard. It's hard. Yeah. Although apparently Will Sampson was like just a great guy and um there's like nothing but amazing things written about him that that people were just very uh, but yeah, he was like super smart and insightful, and he also played uh, <laughs> equally tough the 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 chief in One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest, which you might recognize. Oh sometime. shit! Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And then maybe most notably, and this was super tragic, Heather O'Rourke, who was the little girl who played Carol Ann, died during production of the third Poltergeist movie. Um, she was misdiagnosed as having like Crohn's oh. disease. And in fact, uh, there was like an obstruction in her bowels and she died of, of toxic shock uh, or septic shock, which is just really awful and sad. And, and the overwhelming response of people involved in the movies, which I think is very fair and which I was like pleasantly surprised that the tone of the Poltergeist episode was, is that it's, it's like pretty disrespectful to wrap an actual tragedy up in a curse, you know? Um, and that to tie all of these incredible losses back to this idea of a, a, um, a film shoot being cursed, uh, we just shouldn't do it. It also is like a very human thing to try and find patterns when tragedy happens and try to find the source of it. Um, yeah. When things are that inexplicably awful. Right. Right. Um, which I just think is like worth noting, um, amidst all of this, but the whole reason behind the curse, people think, is that there is a long-standing rumor that several of the skeletons that appear in the climax of the first movie uh, that float up out of the pool and terrify poor Jo Beth Williams, who's then like surrounded by them and they're up against her face, 
uh, that they are not props, but they are real skeletons. Mm-hmm. So the expectation of this uh, uh, documentary episode, which had a very kind of like sober, no-nonsense look, which I really respected, was I thought it was going to end with it being like, and they absolutely were not real skeletons. Um, but then nope. they talked to Craig Reardon, who is a special makeup effects artist, and he worked as a special makeup effects artist in the movie. Um, and he's like, the curse is totally bonkers and incredibly disrespectful. Those are real people who died. Uh, um, these actors are real people who died. But then he's like, besides, every movie uses real skeletons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I was like, oh. And um, everybody, he's right. <laughs> uh, so he uses as an example Universal's Frankenstein from 1931. Um, a lot of the skeletons used in that were real, uh, anatomy skeletons that were bought or borrowed from medical supply warehouses and, uh, William Castle's house on Haunted Hill starring Vincent Price. The climax is a skeleton comes out of an acid pit and then is marionetted over to a woman whom it then kills. Mm -hmm. Um, that marionette was a real skeleton, which is real hard news. And not only that, uh, this one is crazy. I found this on Bloody Disgusting, which is like a horror movie news website. And this is an article written by John Squire. Um, And it's about a real skeleton that was used in uh, the Dawn of the Dead movie, George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is just an excerpt. The incredible true story of Don Doe was told to me back in 2014 by William Sanders, a fan who was, at the time, making Road Trip of the Dead, a found footage film about a group of friends who set out to make a documentary about Pittsburgh's horror movie filming locations. While doing research for the film, Sanders learned that it was Tom Savini who brought the skeleton into question to the set of Dawn of the Dead, under the assumption that it was merely a prop he dressed it up and leaned it up against a wall as a set decoration, prominently displayed during an early scene in the apartment complex. As the story goes, originally relayed by yours truly on Halloween lore, which I think is another uh, podcast, Savini borrowed the prop from the owner of a costume shop who eventually sold it to another shop when he was going out of business. Using rubber, cotton, and Rice Krispie cereal, Savini Uh. added mummified flesh to the skeleton for its appearance in Dawn of the Dead. Oddly enough, it was the faux flesh that made a police officer suspect that the costume world skeleton was something more than a mere prop. They took it in for testing. They stripped it of all the excess. They did a test. They found that it was the skeleton of a woman who died 100 years ago, Uh. uh, a 30-year-old woman. Um, and it had just been passed from prop shop to costume shop to prop shop over time. Uh, and then there was a GoFundMe to arrange a burial for the skeleton. And it was taken out of commission. so she was, how did she die? They don't know. And so the origin of it, like she's, they call her Don Doe, um, because they don't, they just don't know what happened. I mean, it's such an old skeleton that there's no, I don't think there's any sign of like, blunt force trauma or anything visible. Um, But then I did some other investigating and I guess there's been a little bit more of a crackdown on this on, on like prop shops with real skeletons Um, because in looking at them up online, a lot of them list like, this is not real. This is made of plastic or, or whatever. Um, But I guess when it comes to movies, what you want for a fake skeleton is a rubber skeleton, 
but those are so expensive and rare. Often, like looking them up online, often they're, they they cost like eight hundred dollars up to a thousand dollars. That then, mm. if you look on like um, biological supply houses or biological supply warehouses or things, uh, I couldn't find any online. But pretty much every special effects supervisor um, in interviews where they're asked about this are like, oh, yeah, if you just ask for cheap skeletons, like that's what you're going to get. And now people are more aware of the fact that these are real skeletons, so they're not used so often. Um, I'm not looking up. uh, I found in an interview that said that they use Carolina Biological to get the skeletons. (gasps) I'm just looking online. Oh, no. These are all replicas. Yeah. yeah I feel like you got to go to a back door somewhere. Ah, uh, yeah. That's definitely something you like You like say to a guy under your breath as you're checking out. And then he's like, yeah. sure. And then takes you to another room. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess it makes sense in a time when there's like less oversight where that was happening. Yeah. But also early on, you know, at um at like medical schools and things, like those would be real skeletons in classrooms. I'll um, also say that just on this Carolina biological website, a skeletal hand is $155. Yeah. That's a lot. It's a lot of money. Well well so then so um what Craig Reardon says, who's you know that special effects uh mm-hmm. special makeup effects designer on Poltergeist is he was like, what's unfair about this is that there is no Frankenstein curse and they used real skeletons. There's no um, House on the Haunted Hill curse. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and even Pirates of the Caribbean, there's a real skull at some, like somewhere in the, in the ride. Um, so, you know, they're not cursed. Why, why create this like very hurtful, uh, legend around someone's actual loss. Um, but then, and I'm not endorsing believing in curses, but then after doing a little bit of research on House on Haunted Hill, which was a movie that terrified me a lot as a little kid, uh, like half the stars died within two years of shooting the movie. No way. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of very young heart attacks. Um, and the, yeah, and there's like one suicide. It's all very sad. Um, wow. I am stunned. And also in Frankenstein, there are some like early premature deaths, but they're not in relation to the Frankenstein movie. It's just like there are so many young male actors who died of heart attacks back then. Yeah, I think that was just sort of par for the course. Yeah, I guess yeah. you weren't going to the doctor. People didn't just- know that you couldn't like brush your teeth with steak. Like <laughs> the smoking and the drinking. Yeah. No, none of it. those men ate a leaf. <laughs> That's true. Clark Gable wasn't like, ugh, I should just like have some greens. Yeah. They yeah, they called they called uh they called leaves queer food. <laughs> gay feed. Yeah, gay baloney. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I mean, uh, come on. I also think that like there's something about Mrs. Freeling being in like a muddy pit with skeletons bopping into her face that like that feels hauntier than so she uh, some people are some people kind of blame Jobeth Williams who played Mrs. Freeling for the curse stuff I I don't think that's fair I think there was a lot of other yeah Um, she didn't say it was a curse she was just like that was real and I was like a young actress and I 
Right. Just they they didn't tell that. her. They told her after she saw she like shot the scene, and she was like, "Those skulls were like in my mouth and like up yeah. against me." And um, it's so fucked up. Yeah, it's a very scary scene. And yeah, she's like, "It was really responsible." I think so much to the effect that, uh, at least in an E True Hollywood Story episode clip that I found, um, they called someone to like smudge the set of the second movie. Uh, yes wait i remember this eat true hollywood story yeah I, what's confusing is and i think I, I don't know the the clip that i saw kind of makes it seem like will sampson did it but that might just be like a, a racist <laughs> misunderstanding in the clip itself um yeah. but yeah so that was uh, yeah that that there was the, i think that also lended credence to the curse where it's like when they found out that the set had been cleansed yeah. Um, I mean, what's funny is the other two episodes that I watched, there's one that's about the exorcist and there's one that's about the omen. Ooh. And again, it's like, we look for patterns. We try to find patterns as much as we can. Um, I do think it, it ultimately is like kind of ghoulish to like delight in these curses. I will say there's just so much tragedy surrounding the, um, the omen production. Like, but what's what's bizarre about that is it's all of these near misses. Like Gregory Peck's plane to set gets struck by lightning. Oh, um, what? The That's next, a thing that can happen? Yeah, the writer's plane oh. to set a couple days later gets struck by lightning. Oh. Um, the Gregory Peck's original flight that he was supposed to take crashes. Oh, um, my God. And this is so sad. It crashes. This is insane, Anna. The plane crashes... And the crash kills a woman and two children in a car. Oh. And the woman's husband was the pilot of the plane. No. No. Isn't that no. the most horrific thing you've ever heard? No. I mean, it is sort of convenient. <laughs> uh, also, uh, one of the producers for the film, a couple days before, he, was, he had reservations with his wife to go to lunch at this place called Scott's. And uh, and on the way there, the restaurant got bombed, and they were running late. And if they had made it on time, they would have been killed in the restaurant. What the fuck? And then um, another. Oh gosh, I'm gonna forget. I'm gonna forget the person's association to the movie. But another uh, person, shortly after the film wrapped, was in a car crash with his fiance. His fiance was beheaded in the what same the way that a character in the movie is beheaded. No. Uh, and then. There's a scene where a bunch of baboons go crazy in a zoo and um, the animal handler at the zoo, the at the end of the shoot day, got attacked and killed by a lion. You can't. The Andrew, it's too much. So they so the beginning of the episode is that they express all that stuff. But then um, there's a, there's someone who's brought in who's like a skeptic who has written a book about how we see coincidences and curses and things like that. And they're basically like, there are other movies in which things like that have happened, but they're not horror movies, so they're not snazzily done. And also, if you – like, this is a scary movie about Satan, which could really trouble people. So we go looking for all of the tragedies connected to that in ways that we don't do with other movies. Um, and he uses this thing where he's like, if you went to a basketball game, I would wager to say – 
like there are enough people in that in that basketball crowd who go home to bad news or something bad happens. The basketball game wasn't cursed, but if you were to tell them that it was, then everything would go back to that origin thing and it makes you believe that there's a curse. Sure, but that being said, <laughs> this one is also grisly and insane. Um and then they talk to someone who is from the Church of Satan. Um, Hell yeah, wreck and roll. And their thing is like, I don't think Satan cursed the movie. Like, I think Satan wanted the movie to do well. <laughs> and he's like, and I, I don't think this is like, um, when I say Church of Satan, I don't mean like, I think this is like an actual, like, someone who identifies as a as a witch who is yes. like, who's not like Satanism is about, you know, um, not necessarily worshiping Satan. I think this person maybe does. Or, or no, they, I think they call themselves um, a practicer of like, uh, like black witchcraft or something. Um, okay. Or black arts or something. Uh, but they were like, I think like if the if Satan had cursed the movie, then like Gregory Peck would have died in that plane crash. The writer would have died in that plane crash the producer would have died in that explosion. Like instead Satan is like trying to make this movie do well and all of the other things surrounding it are to like bump up the, uh, the lore of it and make it do well at the box office, which it did. It did extraordinarily well. Oh my God. If only that the, the like airplane crash had happened. I mean, Diane knew it would have been enough. Uh, there's also a th- so crazy. Yeah, there's also a thing I wrote down just from that episode where apparently, and this this one they like don't list a source, which makes me like, oh, I don't know if that's real. The car crash that happened, um, it was right near a sign uh, for a town called Omen, O M M E N, and it said six point sixty six kilometers away. No, that's fake. That feels that feels like someone's getting greedy. Yeah, well, just chill. Um, but yeah, the series is really good. I recommend it. The Exorcist one is pretty wild. M- mostly the scary part of that is just like hearing what poor Linda Blair had to go through. Um, oh, really? Being a child on that set. Yeah, I think mostly it was just like, I don't know. They just wanted to get that. They just wanted to get that movie done. And I think William Friedkin maybe was kind of scary or not great at working with children. Um no, that's not okay. And there were like threats on her life. Like it's so crazy because she says like, isn't it funny that there's threats on my life as a kid who's playing the devil, but like the kid who played the omen, no trouble at all. Like yeah. she's like, they both did incredibly well at the box office. I don't know why she was like, I think it's like maybe some gender stuff. Um, yeah. Being a yeah. girl is rude. Yeah. Being a girl is hard, especially it's when you play rude. the devil. It's a rude choice to be. But also, she's a big animal rights advocate now, Linda Blair. That's great. Yeah, good work. Good job. Um, so yeah, that's my that's my glimpse into the world of living skeletons. Andrew, what a good book report! Thank you so much. It was I mean really that, fun. It was really fun to research. Uh, we love the dancing around. We love <laughs> that they need help. Skeletons always need help. They do. They need to find something. Because you know why? They don't have their thumbprint anymore, so they can't open their phone. <gasps> That's huge. Uh, that would be a good story. Should we write be. some they scary need, stories? They need those silicone-tipped gloves they to, do. like, swipe and... <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> that would be hard. Hey, we're all going to become a skeleton one day, but yeah, uh, until that's then, my hope. <laughs> I know that's hard. Let's not rush to it. Yeah, I'm happy having flesh for a while. 
Oh, good. Yeah, I like it. Let's all thank our skin and our bodies for That's making cool. us not skeletons. Yes. Uh, Anna, should we transition to scary ideas for things that could uh, happen? Yes, good idea. Okay, I'll go. Great. You find a little flyer in your neighborhood for a farmer's market. And it says it's on Tuesdays. Sorry. It's yeah, <laughs> it's on two Okay, so but, but <laughs> it's on Wednesdays at midnight, which is like Tuesday night. It's like Tuesday into Wednesday. It says all this on the flyer. Yeah. So and you're like that's odd that it's so late at night. But it looks really fresh. So you say, what the heck? And it's right around the corner from my house. So you set an alarm. You go to bed at 9 p.m., I guess. Mm-hmm. You wake up and you go around the corner. And then you see that around the corner from your house, where there's normally a sports authority, is a graveyard. And in the graveyard has the address of the um, farmer's market. And you go in, and it's a bunch of skeletons selling turnips and stuff. And you're like, hi. And they're like, hi. And then you pause to give them a chance to, like, address it. And they're like, are you here for the farmer's market? And you're like, yeah. And you're like, great. And then you pause again. And then you just buy a bunch of stuff and take it home and cook it. That, that could happen. happen. Anna, you have no idea how much I love your norm core scary ideas for things that could happen. I oh. think they're so good. <laughs> Thank you. I would love <laughs> I would love a sort of mumbly kind of Greta Gerwig movie, a sort of Francis Ha populated entirely by ghouls and skeletons and ghosts, but we never yes. talk about it. Yes. I realize that I it, yeah, th- that's just how I talk is like I hate to ask someone something or to call attention to something, <laughs> which was hard when I was in the UK because there you have to be pretty like I would go up and say like, "Hi, I'm here for the show." And they'd say, "Okay." Oh, and I'd say, that's "Oh, a can nightmare. I go in to the performer entrance?" And they'd say, "Yes, it's around the back." <laughs> so yeah, directness. That's just my nightmare. Yeah, that's uh, also it just might be we as Americans are so kind of side door enter from the side like, hey, I'm not going to tell you what I want. Can you guess it? Yes, yes, yes. yes. But yeah, but then and then when it then when you are direct about asking for something, I I always feel like I'm a fucking monster. Like they're going to think I feel the same way. Yeah. Um, Okay. this my scary idea for things could happen. I'm not I'm not going to preface it. I'm going to give you a little after. Okay. Okay. You're fast asleep on a weekday. And suddenly, you wake up immediately, like a shot, like you're just instantly awake, which never happens to you. You don't know how to sleep in a way that's healthy. You look at the clock, and it's 3 a.m., and you lie there for about a minute. And then, clear as a bell, you hear your doorbell ring. Uh. You look back at your clock, and it's 3 a.m., So you start to get up and walk to your door. And then you remember, you don't have a doorbell. (gasps) And you walk up and you look outside and through the peephole, there's a figure all in gray. And as soon as your eye gets up to it, they dash away. 
and they're gone. Oh, that, that could, could happen. happen. And gentle listener, what except happened? for the very end, that did happen to me last night. No, Andrew, we, stop. We have a doorbell, but it doesn't sound like a doorbell. It's just like, ding. And this was very clearly from the door. Bing bong. Like, like an old home's doorbell. Did they change your doorbell? No. And I, I mean, I got up and there was no one there. I must, it, truly, I must have been in like a waking dream because I don't think that, like, I was so awake in that moment, but then I realized I like opened my eyes again. I, it, I think I was dreaming that I was awake and then the doorbell thing happened and then I oh. actually got up and woke up on the way to the door. No, that's scary. so scary. I had yeah. a lot of very active dreams last night. Yeah, what is it? I don't know. I don't know. I dreamt that I, I joined the Nick City Dancers, which is the <laughs> dance team for the New York Knicks, but that it was like in the 1960s, so it was still a walk-on team, and wow. that uh, we went to do the halftime show, and I'm so sorry, this has been family-friendly up to this point, so if you're listening with a kid, just throw your phone in, a, in, the, in the sink, but I dreamt that before we even started, and then a guy came on the floor before we even started dancing. <gasps> Oh. <laughs> no did you see it happen yes. he was like oh yeah. oh my god oh my god i wonder i bet that happens no it, oh. uh he's so excited for halftime I had a dream that um, I was running from like skinheads at like a res- at like a beautiful resort, <laughs> and I ducked into a poolside restaurant, and at a- and suddenly I hear like Andrew and our friend Ro Hartramp. Do you know you know Ro? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is waving to me, and he's with his family, and he's like waving me over. And I, I like run over to their table and I sit down and I've met Rose's dad and sister, but I've not met his mom. And I, and I like sit down and I'm like, hello. And then I realize that his mom is just Sally Field. Like it's, it's not, it's not his mom being played by Sally Field. It is Sally Field. And Roe has just never told me that his mom is Sally Field. This is a very NYU experience. Yeah. Oh yeah. This, cause this, <laughs> this happened has to happened to me, to me two times. times, two whole times. So many like friendships for five years. And they're like, oh yeah, my dad is Abraham Lincoln. You didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> no. And it's only like, as you're sitting down at a Thai restaurant being like, a goo. Um, oh. so, and she's talking and she's talking and, um, and things get a little foggier on there. I feel like at some point she like told off the skinheads who were trying to chase me. But yeah, that was a dream that I had last night right before I woke up. So I don't know. There might be something. There. Um, that could happen. That could also, happen. If anyone's had any um, doorbell dreams. Please. If you had a doorbell dream, let us know. Or maybe a sleepwalking experience. Ooh, or if your kid had a sleepwalking experience. your parents. I don't like that. Okay. I don't like that at all. Uh, but please tell us. It's the kind of I don't like it that I want to hear about. Yeah, same. I've got uh, when when we share those, I've got some stories too because my my brother Pete, who's a big fan of the pod, has done some sleepwalking, and boy no, oh boy, Mr. Pete, they're good stories. Along with my nephew. Um, no, cool. Oh cool. boy, Anna. Oh this Andrew, was... what a good stories. Thank you so much. This was a. I like having time to do some beforehand research, so I'm not scrambling from website to website, being like, um, is, is this something? Um, yes, I'm relate. just not. I'm just not good at it. 
but this will, this is fun. Now I've got some time, so maybe the next couple. I've already got my idea for what my next horror icon will be. Horror icon. That's such a good idea for a series. <laughs> yeah, I figured it'd be fun um, to switch up. Also, maybe at some point I'll get bored of it and we'll we'll just go back to other standard urban legends. No, it's but, nice for us to have little channels that we can flick between. Yeah, I thought it'd be good. Um, oh, it is good. Well, I okay, hope you well, have a great rest of your day, Anna. Anything fun thank planned? Thank you. Um, I'm going to go for a walk with Ladybird. I think Amazing. I just purchased her. I, I've been stranded in LA during COVID and I just today purchased her a bed instead of, <laughs> um, improvising her things out of leftover, um, uh, bless you Thank out you. of like pillows and blankets. And now she has like this little circle donut. <laughs> bless oh your ass. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm allergic to cute stories. I know, but it's really sweet. Cause she just went into it and let out a huge sigh. So oh. I think my plan is to watch her just sleep. I love I love when you hear an animal being satisfied. <laughs> it rocks. She yeah. Ladybird is very open with when she's been satisfied. Oh, so really my great. day is gonna be how about you? Um good. I started making a family recipe called Grandpa Spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> Which um <laughs> that is my favorite Eminem song. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a little time intensive, but um I'm excited about it because it is delicious. It? Um it's a real kind of depression era meal. Um, but it's very good. It's like a baked spaghetti dish. It's the most Midwest thing imaginable. Very good, very um, good. Yeah, leaning heavily on like tomato paste and red peppers and green peppers and onion good. and cheese and stuff. Good. Um, yeah. Well, I got my farmer's market box today, so. Yeah, oh, isn't it great having vegetables? It is like a ticking time bomb on making yourself eat vegetables. Yes. Um, which is good. It's like holding a gun to your head, but the gun is a carrot. <laughs> Is yeah, every good. time you open your fridge or cauliflower and the crisper is like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to turn any day and then Burn you'll be me, screwed. <laughs> Cut me. Make me farts. Turn me into farts. Well, Andrew, turn me into farts. Oh, uh, what a great cue. Love you, Anna. Love you. And everyone else, love you too. And get, get out. out forever. Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.